Hello, wonderful people. Boy, check out that green screening. An amazing job. <laughs> Good lord, look at that. <laughs> Is that a bit better? That's a bit better. Methinks that looks better. How's everybody doing? It's an overcast day, so my uh, my light's all weird. Um, probably going to have to adjust a bit. That's all right. You know, we get... Uh... We get used to adjusting on the fly. It's all good. How's everybody doing? How's everybody's week? Katie, Kendra, Rachel, how's it going? My week has been decent. Um, I do this thing where my, my sleep schedule gets flipped and it goes back and forth between about, oh boy. Uh, I'll switch back and forth between essentially falling asleep around 10 and waking up at a normal time between that and falling asleep at around 4 or 5 a.m. Waking up super late, obviously, and then uh, doing work because I work in the evenings and then coming home and in the middle of the night just getting a ton done. However, this system of efficiency... Uh, kind of only works toward the beginning of the switches. Um, so when I switch into uh, night mode, as it were, um, I get a ton done for the first uh, week or so of it, and then it starts to peter off, and then I switch to day mode, get a bunch done, starts to peter off. Rachel's asking, how's the new apartment? New apartment is good. New apartment is really good. As are the new roommates. Trying to monitor my audio really quick here. Um, as usual, anybody who is not interested in this portion of the cast can go ahead and skip until you see channel art in the VOD. If not, just bear with me. Um, <clears throat> I should say, if you're here live, just bear with me. Yeah, the new apartment is great. Um, roommates are great. It's really nice. I'm I'm enjoying the the sort of uh, food related elements of living in our own place so much more than uh, the way that we used to do it. Even I, I'm enjoying it even more than I thought that I would. You know, we were, we were in a, a, a situation that was, I mean, it was cheap, but we were, you know, constantly having to like eat in the bedroom and everything, just sort of squirreling away into our own space. Uh, it's really nice to have a kitchen that I can use at my own leisure I can keep it clean. I can organize it. Um, and then, you know, being able to eat at our own kitchen table is just fantastic. I get, I think, uh, more pleasure out of, like, little domestic things than I realized I would. I did this really cool thing, made a really cool choice, and ate uh, pizza, pizza, ate pizza with this stuff called sambal olek. Um, <clears throat> it's fantastic, but it's spicy, which means my whole face is just full right now. Ooh. Kendra says, not bad, been busy with work and school. That's a good couple of things to be busy with. Um, what, uh, what is it you do, if you don't mind me asking? <laughs> I'm still getting the hang of, like, talking to people in chat. It's kind of funny to have people here and, like, have conversations. <clears throat> But we're doing it, and we're here. So, uh, 
go ahead and uh, continue to uh, talk away in chat. I am going to do my quick little recap of what we saw in the last couple of chapters. Um, and then we are going to get started with today. So, the big thing we learned in the last couple of chapters was, A, Malfoy is really a weasel, an actual weasel. He is briefly. Um, Mad-Eye Moody turns out to be kind of an interesting character. Um, he seems a little unhinged, a little crazy, but people kind of appreciate his style. He doesn't seem to take any crap from uh, the people that typically give crap, i.e. Malfoy. Uh, matter of fact, he goes as far as to turn Malfoy into a weasel and then bounce him around in the air because he was giving Harry a hard time. Work on the phone, says Kendra, and studying Spanish. Well, excellent. I'm trying to get my Spanish back to what it once was and uh, then improve from there. I'm using Duolingo right now because it seems like it's an efficient system, but I will say, <clears throat> being the sort of brand of completionist that I am, I have to get some of the earlier stuff done, but it's a lot of material that I already know very well, and so I'm just sort of breezing through it, but there's a lot of it, so I'm having a tough time catching up to, I would say, my current skill level with Spanish, and then actually starting to learn new things with it, so... We'll get there, Kendra, you and me. Um, so Mad-Eye Moody, not taking crap from Malfoy, and not letting Malfoy give crap to Harry, strangely enough. Um, they learn quite a bit in Mad-Eye Moody's class. He is teaching Defense Against the Dark Arts, and not just teaching it, but really teaching it. You know, they've had a, a run of a couple of oddballs in the Defense Against Dark Arts classes. Um, they really didn't learn much of anything from uh, Professor Lockhart, they learned quite a bit from Lupin, um, but Lupin's was still book knowledge, and there's this attitude among the students that Mad-Eye Moody really knows what he's talking about. And in a way, he does, because he was out there fighting the dark arts. A dark wizard hunter. So, uh, they get to see or in some, some of the students' cases, have to see, uh, a demonstration of the three unforgivable curses. This is um, Imperio. This is, that's that's the, the spell that allows one to control another person. Crucio, which is a, a spell just, just designed to torture people. And then Avada Kedavra, which is, of course, the killing curse. They go through the unforgivables. <clears throat> and of course, they are looking forward to getting to see uh, the students from other schools, other wizarding schools, which they will get the chance to do shortly. All right. For anybody who is just joining, my name is Sam. This is Sidecar Stories. Thank you very much for watching. I'm going to get started on the next chapter. Um, as usual, if you'd like to talk about anything, I would love to discuss it. Go ahead and put it in chat, and I will either pause during the chapter or uh, wait until the end. But either way, we will talk about it. Let us proceed, yes?
Chapter 15 Bobotons and Durmstrang Early next morning, Harry woke with a plan fully formed in his mind, as though his sleeping brain had been working on it all night. He got up, dressed in the pale dawn light, left the dormitory without waking Ron, and went back down to the deserted common room. Here he took a piece of parchment from the table upon which his divination homework still lay, and wrote the following letter. Dear Sirius, I reckon I just imagined my scar hurting. I was half asleep when I wrote to you last time. There's no point coming back. Everything's fine here. Don't worry about me. My head feels completely normal. Harry. He then climbed out of the portrait hole, up through the silent castle, held up only briefly by Peeves, who tried to overturn a large vase on him, halfway along the fourth-floor corridor, finally arriving at the Owlery, which is situated at the top of the West Tower. The Owlery was a circular stone room, rather cold and drafty, because none of the windows had glass in them. <coughs> the floor was entirely covered in straw, owl droppings, the regurgitated skeletons of mice and voles. Hundreds upon hundreds of owls, of every breed imaginable, were nestled here, on perches that rose right up to the top of the tower, nearly all of them asleep, though here and there a round amber eye glared at Harry. He spotted Hedwig nestled between a barn owl and a tawny, and hurried over to her, gliding a little in the... oh, sliding a little on the dropping strewn floor. It took him a while to persuade her to wake up and then to look at him. She kept shuffling around on her perch, showing him her tail. She was evidently still furious about his lack of gratitude the previous night. In the end, it was Harry suggesting she might be too tired and that perhaps she... and that perhaps he would ask Ron to borrow Pigwidgeon that made her stick out her leg and allow him to tie the letter to it. Just find him, all right? Harry said, stroking her back as he carried her on his arm to one of the holes in the wall. Before the Dementors do. She nipped his finger, perhaps rather harder than she would ordinarily have done, but hooted softly in a reassuring sort of way, all the same. Then she spread her wings and took off into the sunrise. Harry watched her fly out of sight with the familiar feeling of unease back in his stomach. He had been so sure that Sirius's reply would alleviate his worries rather than increasing them. That was a lie, Harry, said Hermione sharply over breakfast when he told her and Ron what he had done. <clears throat> you didn't imagine your scar hurting and you know it. So what, said Harry. He's not going back to Azkaban because of me. Drop it, said Ron sharply to Hermione as she opened her mouth to argue some more, and for once Hermione heeded him and fell silent. Harry did his best not to worry about Sirius over the next couple of weeks. True, he could not stop himself from looking anxiously around every morning when the post-owls arrived, nor late at night before he went to sleep prevent himself from seeing horrible visions of Sirius cornered by Dementors down some dark London street. But between times, he tried to keep his mind off his godfather. He wished he still had Quidditch to distract him, 
Nothing worked so well on a troubled mind as a good, hard training session. On the other hand, their lessons were becoming more difficult and demanding than ever before, particularly Moody's defense against the dark arts. To their surprise, Professor Moody had announced that he would be putting the Imperious Curse on each of them in turn, to demonstrate its power and to see whether they could resist its effects. But, but you said that it's illegal, Professor, said Hermione uncertainly, as Moody cleared away the desks with a sweep of his wand, leaving a large clear space in the middle of the room. You said to use it against another human was... Dumbledore wants you to be taught what it feels like, said Moody, magical eye swiveling onto Hermione and fixing her with an eerie, unblinking stare. If you'd rather learn the hard way, when someone's put it on you so that they can control you completely, fine by me. Your excuse, off you go. He pointed one gnarled finger toward the door. Hermione went very pink and muttered something about not meaning that she had wanted to leave. Harry and Ron grinned at each other. They knew Hermione would rather eat boobatuber pus than miss such an important lesson. Moody began to beckon students forward in turn and put the imperious curse upon them. Harry watched as one by one his classmates did the most extraordinary things under its influence— Dean Thomas hopped three times around the room, singing the national anthem. Lavender Brown imitated a squirrel. Neville performed a series of quite astonishing gymnastics that he would certainly not have been capable of in his normal state. Not one of them seemed to have been able to fight off the curse, and each of them recovered only when Moody had removed it. Potter! Moody growled. You next! Harry moved forward into the middle of the classroom, into the space that Moody had cleared of desks. Moody raised his wand, pointed it at Harry, and said, Imperio! It was the most wonderful feeling. Harry felt a floating sensation. Every thought and worry in his head was wiped gently away leaving nothing but a vague, untraceable happiness. He stood there, feeling immensely relaxed, only dimly aware of everyone watching him. Then he heard Mad-Eye Moody's voice, echoing in some distant chamber of his empty brain. Jump onto the desk. Jump onto the desk. Harry bent his knees obediently, preparing to spring. Jump under the desk. Another voice had awoken in the bag of his brain. Thing to do, said the voice. Jump under the desk. No, I don't think I will, thanks, said the other voice, a little more firmly. No, I don't really want to. No problem, Katie. You're all good. Jump! Now! The next thing Harry felt was considerable pain. He had both jumped and provide... He had both jumped and tried to prevent himself from jumping. The result was that he'd smashed headlong onto the desk, knocking it over and, by the feeling in his legs, 
fractured both of his kneecaps. No, that's more like it, growled Moody's voice, and suddenly Harry felt the empty, echoing feeling in his head disappear. He remembered exactly what was happening, and the pain in his knees seemed to double. Look at that, you lot! Potter fought! He fought it, and he damn near beat it! We'll try that again, Potter, and the rest of you, pay attention! Watch his eyes, that's where you see it! Very good, Potter. Very good indeed. They'll have trouble controlling you. The way he talks, Harry muttered as he hobbled out of the Defense Against the Dark Arts class an hour later. Moody had insisted on putting Harry through his paces four times in a row until Harry could throw off the curse entirely. You'd think that we were all going to be attacked at any second. Yeah, I know, said Ron, who was skipping on every alternate step. He had had much more difficulty with the curse than Harry, though Moody assured him that the effects would wear off by lunchtime. Talk about paranoid. Ron glanced nervously over his shoulder to check that Moody was definitely out of earshot and went on. No wonder they were glad to get shots of him at the Ministry. Did you hear him talking to Seamus about what he did to that witch who shouted boo behind him on April Fool's Day? And when are we supposed to read up on resisting the Imperious Curse with everything else that we've got to do? All of the fourth years had noticed a definite increase in the amount of work they were required to do this term. Professor McGonagall explained why, when the class gave a particularly loud groan at the amount of transfiguration homework she had assigned. You are now entering the most important phase of your magical education, she told them, her eyes glinting dangerously behind her square spectacles. Your ordinary wizarding levels are drawing, drawing nearer. We don't take OWLs till fifth year, said Dean Thomas indignantly. Perhaps not, Thomas, but believe me, you all need the preparation that you can get. Miss Granger remains the only person in this class who has managed to turn a hedgehog into a satisfactory pincushion. I might remind you that your pincushion, Thomas, still curls up in fright if anyone approaches it with a pin. Hermione, who had turned rather pink again, seemed to be trying not to look too pleased with herself. Harry and Ron were deeply amused when Professor Trelawney told them that they had received top marks for their homework in their next divination class. She read out large portions of their predictions, commending them for their unflinching acceptance of the horrors in store for them. But they were less amused when she asked them to do the same thing for the month after next. Both of them were running out of ideas for catastrophes. Meanwhile, Professor Binns, the ghost who taught history of magic, had them writing weekly essays on the goblin rebellions of the 18th century. Professor Snape was forcing them to research antidotes. They took this one seriously, as he had hinted that he might be poisoning one of them before Christmas to see if their antidote worked. Professor Flitwick had asked them to read three extra books in preparation for their lesson on summoning charms. Even Hagrid was adding to their workload. The blast-ended scroots were growing at a remarkable pace, given that nobody had yet discovered what they ate. Hagrid was delighted, and as part of their 
project, suggested that they come down to his hut on alternate evenings to observe the scrutes and make notes on their extraordinary behavior. I will not, said Draco Malfoy flatly when Hagrid had proposed this with an air of Father Christmas pulling an extra-large toy out of his sack. I see enough of these foul things during lessons, thanks. Hagrid's smile faded off his face. You'll do what you're told, he growled, or you'll be taking a leaf out of Professor Moody's book. I hear you make a good ferret, Malfoy. The Gryffindors roared with laughter. Malfoy flushed with anger, but apparently the memory of Moody's punishment was still sufficiently painful to stop him from retorting. Harry, Ron, and Hermione returned to the castle at the end of the lesson in high spirits. Seeing Hagrid put down Malfoy was particularly satisfying, especially since Malfoy had done his very best to get Hagrid sacked the previous year. When they had arrived in the entrance hall, they found themselves unable to proceed, owing to a large crowd of students congregated there, all milling around a large sign that had been erected at the foot of the marble staircase. Ron, the tallest of the three, stood on tiptoes to see over the heads of the front of over the heads in front of them and read the sign aloud to the other two. Try Wizard Tournament. The delegations from Bobatons and Durmstrang will be arriving at six o'clock on Friday, thirtieth of October. Lessons will end half an hour early. Brilliant, said Harry. It's potions last thing on Friday. Snape won't have time to poison us all. Students will return their bags and books to their dormitories and assemble in front of the castle to greet our guests before the welcoming feast. It's only a week away, said Ernie McMillan of Hufflepuff, emerging from the crowd, his eyes gleaming. I wonder if Cedric knows. I think I'll go tell him. Whew, got a little... <laughs> my, my cockney accent went off the tracks there. I wonder if Cedric knows. I think I'll go tell him. Cedric, said Ron blankly, as Ernie hurried off. Diggory, said Harry. He must be entering the tournament. That idiot, Hogwarts champion, said Ron as they pushed their way through the chattering crowd toward the staircase. He's not an idiot, you just don't like him because he beat Gryffindor at Quidditch, said Hermione. I've heard he's a really good student, and he's a prefect. She spoke as though this settled the matter. You only like him because he's handsome, said Ron scathingly. Excuse me, I don't like people just because they're handsome, said Hermione indignantly. Ron gave a loud, false cough, which sounded oddly like, <coughs> Look up. The appearance of the sign in the entrance hall had a marked effect upon the inhabitants of the castle. During the following week, there seemed to be only one topic of conversation, no matter where Harry went, the Triwizard Tournament. Rumors were flying from student to student like highly contagious germs, who was going to try for Hogwarts champion, what the tournament would involve, how students from Bobatons and Durmstrang differed from themselves. Harry noticed, too, that the castle seemed to be undergoing an extra-thorough cleaning. Several grimy portraits had been scrubbed, much to the displeasure of their subjects, who sat huddled in their frames, muttering darkly and wincing as they felt 
their pink, raw faces. The suits of armor were suddenly gleaming and moving without squeaking, and Argus Filch, the caretaker, was behaving so ferociously to any students who forgot to wipe their shoes that he terrified a pair of first-year girls into hysterics. Other members of the staff seemed oddly tense, too. Longbottom, kindly do not reveal that you can't even perform a simple switching spell in front of anyone from Durmstrang. Professor McGonagall barked at the end of one particularly difficult lesson, during which Neville had accidentally transplanted his own ears onto a cactus. When they went down to breakfast on the morning of the 30th of October, they found the great hall had been decorated overnight. Enormous silk banners hung from the walls, each of them representing a Hogwarts house. Red with a gold lion for Gryffindor, blue with a bronze eagle for Ravenclaw, yellow with a black badger for Hufflepuff, and green with a silver serpent for Slytherin. Behind the teacher's table, the largest banner of all bore the Hogwarts coat of arms. Lion, eagle, badger, and snake united around a large letter H. Harry, Ron, and Hermione sat down beside Fred and George at the Gryffindor table. Once again, and most unusually, they were sitting apart from everyone else and conversing in low voices. Ron led the way over to them. It's a bummer, all right, George was saying gloomily to Fred. But if he won't talk to us in person, we'll have to send him a letter after all. Or we'll stuff it into his hand. He can't avoid us forever. Who's avoiding you? said Ron, sitting down next to them. Wish you would, said Fred, looking irritated at the interruption. What's a bummer? Ron asked George. Having a nosy git like you for a brother, said George. You two got any ideas on the Triwizard Tournament yet? Harry asked. Thought any more about trying to enter? I asked McGonagall how the champions are chosen, but she wasn't telling, said George bitterly. Just told me to shut up and get on with transfiguring my raccoon. I wonder what the tasks are going to be, said Ron thoughtfully. You know, I bet we could do them, Harry. We've done dangerous stuff before. Not in front of a panel of judges, you haven't, said Fred. McGonagall says the champions get awarded points according to how well they have done in the tasks. Who are the judges? Harry asked. Well, the heads of the participating schools are always on the panel, said Hermione. And everyone looked around at her, rather surprised. Because all three of them were injured during the tournament of 1792, when a cockatrice the champions were supposed to be catching went on a rampage. She noticed them all looking at her and said, with her usual air of impatience that nobody else had read all the books that she had, It's all in Hogwarts a history. Though, of course, that book's not entirely reliable. A revised Hogwarts hist history of Hogwarts would be a much more accurate title. Or a highly biased and selective Hogwarts history which glosses over the nastier aspects of the school. What are you on about? said Ron though Harry thought he knew what was coming. House elves, said Hermione, her eyes flashing. Not once in over a thousand pages does Hogwarts a history mention that we are 
colluding in the oppression of a hundred slaves. There he shook his head and applied himself to his scrambled eggs. His and Ron's lack of excitement... Um, his and Ron's lack of enthusiasm had done nothing whatsoever to curb Hermione's determination to pursue justice for house elves. True, both of them had paid two sickles for an SPEW badge, but they had only done it to keep her quiet. Their sickles had been wasted, however. If anything, they seemed to have made Hermione more vociferous. They'd been badgering Harry and Ron ever since, first to wear the badges, then to persuade others to do the same. She had also taken to rattling around the Gryffindor common room every evening, cornering people and shaking the collection tin under their noses. Do you realize that your sheets are changed, your fires lit, your classrooms cleaned, and your food cooked by a group of magical creatures who are unpaid and enslaved? She kept saying fiercely. Some people, like Neville, had just paid to stop Hermione from glowering at them. A few seemed mildly interested in what she had to say, but were reluctant to take a more active role in campaigning. Many regarded the whole thing as a joke. Ron now rolled his eyes at the ceiling, which was flooding them all in autumn sunlight, and Fred became extremely interested in his bacon. Both twins had refused to buy an SPEW badge. George, however, leaned in toward Hermione. Listen. Have you ever been down in the kitchens, Hermione? No, of course not, said Hermione curtly. I hardly think students are supposed to. Well, we have, said George, indicating Fred, loads of times to nick food. And we've met them, and they're happy. They think they've got the best job in the world. That's because they're uneducated and brainwashed, Hermione began hotly, but her next few words were drowned out by the sudden whooshing noise from overhead which announced the arrival of the post-owls. Harry looked up at once and saw Hedwig soaring toward him. Hermione stopped talking abruptly. She and Ron watched Hedwig anxiously as she fluttered down onto Harry's shoulder, folded her wings, and held out her leg wearily. Harry pulled off Sirius's reply and offered Hedwig his bacon rinds, which she ate gratefully. Then... Checking that Fred and George were safely immersed in further discussion about the Triwizard Tournament, Harry read out Sirius's letter in a whisper to Ron and Hermione. Nice try, Harry. I'm back in the country and well hidden. I want you to keep me posted on everything that's going on at Hogwarts. Don't use Hedwig. Keep changing owls. Don't worry about me. Just watch out for yourself. Don't forget what I said about your scar. Serious. Why do you have to keep changing owls? Ron asked in a low voice. Hedwig will attract too much attention, said Hermione at once. He stands out. A snowy owl that keeps returning to wherever, she, wherever he's hiding. I mean, they're not native birds, are they? Harry rolled up the letter and slipped it inside his robes, wondering whether he felt more or less worried than before. He supposed that Sirius managing to get back without being caught was something. He couldn't deny either that the idea that Sirius was much nearer was reassuring. At least he wouldn't have to wait so long for a response every time he wrote. Thanks, Hedwig, he said, stroking her. She hooted sleepily, 
dipped her beak briefly into his goblet of orange juice, and then took off again, clearly desperate for a good long sleep in the owlery. There was a pleasant feeling of anticipation in the air that day. Nobody was very attentive in lessons, being much more interested in the arrival that evening of the people from Bobatan and Durmstrang. Even potions was more bearable than usual, as it was half an hour shorter. When the bell rang early, Harry, Ron, and Hermione hurried up to Gryffindor Tower, deposited their bags and books as they had been instructed, pulled on their cloaks, and rushed back downstairs into the entrance hall. The heads of houses were ordering their students into lines. Weasley, straighten your hat, Professor McGonagall snapped at Ron. Miss Patil, take that ridiculous thing out of your hair. Parvati scowled and removed a large ornamental butterfly from the end of her plate. Follow me, please, said Professor McGonagall. First years in front, no pushing. They filed down the steps and lined up in front of the castle. It was a cold, clear evening. Dusk was falling, and a pale, transparent-looking moon was already shining over the forbidden forest. Harry, standing between Ron and Hermione in the fourth row from the front, saw Dennis Creevy positively shivering with anticipation among the other first years. <sighs> Nearly six, said Ron, checking his watch when they were staring down the drive that led to the front gates. How do you reckon they're coming? The train? I doubt it, said Hermione. How then? Broomsticks? Harry suggested, looking up at the starry sky. I don't think so. Not from that far away. A port key? Ron suggested. Or they could operate. Maybe you're allowed to do it under seventeen where they come from. You can't operate inside Hogwarts grounds. How often do I have to tell you? said Hermione impatiently. They scanned the darkness, excitedly, but nothing was moving. Everything was still, silent, and quite as usual. Harry was starting to feel cold. He wished they'd hurry up. Maybe the foreign, maybe the foreign students were preparing a dramatic entrance. He remembered that Mr. Weasley had said at the campsite before the Quidditch World Cup, Always the same. We can't resist showing off when we get together. And then Dumbledore called out from the back row where he stood with the other teachers. Ah, yes, unless I am very much mistaken, the delegation from Beaubaton arise. Where? said many students eagerly, all looking in different directions. Out there, yelled the sixth year, pointing over the forest. Something large, much larger than a broomstick, or indeed a hundred broomsticks, was hurtling across the deep blue sky toward the castle, growing larger all the time. It's a dragon, shrieked one of the first years, losing her head completely. Don't be stupid, it's a flying house, said Dennis Creevy. Dennis's guess was closer. As the gigantic black shape skimmed over the treetops of the Forbidden Forest, and the lights shining from the castle windows hit it, they saw a gigantic 
powder-blue, horse-drawn carriage, the size of a large house, soaring toward them, pulled through the air by a dozen winged horses, all palominos, and each the size of an elephant. The front three rows of students drew backward as the carriage hurtled ever lower, coming in to land at a tremendous speed. Then, with an almighty crash that made Neville jump backward onto a Slytherin fifth-year's foot, the horse's hooves, larger than dinner plates, hit the ground. A second later, the carriage landed too, bouncing upon its vast wheels while the golden horses tossed their enormous heads and rolled large, fiery red eyes. Harry just had time to see that the door of the carriage bore a coat of arms, two crossed golden wands, each emitting three stars, before it opened. A boy in pale blue robes jumped down from the carriage, bent forward, fumbled for a moment with something on the carriage floor, and unfolded a set of golden steps. He sprang back, respectfully. Then Harry saw a shining, high-heeled black shoe emerge from the inside of the carriage a shoe the size of a child's sled, followed almost immediately by the largest woman he had ever seen in his life. The size of the carriage and of the horses was immediately explained. A few people gasped. Harry had only seen one person as large as this woman in his life, and that was Hagrid. He doubted whether there was an inch difference in their heights, yet somehow, maybe simply because he was used to Hagrid, this woman now at the foot of the steps, and looking around at the waiting, wide-eyed crowd, seemed even more unnaturally large. As she stepped into the light flooding from the entrance hall, she was revealed to have a handsome, olive-skinned face, large, black, liquid-looking eyes, and a rather beaky nose. Her hair was drawn back in a shining knob at the base of her neck. She was dressed from head to foot in black satin, and many magnificent opals gleamed at her throat and on her thick fingers. Dumbledore started to clap. The students, following his lead, broke into applause too, many of them standing on tiptoe, the better to look at this woman. Her face relaxed into a gracious smile, and she walked forward toward Dumbledore, extending a glittering hand. Dumbledore, though tall himself, had barely to bend to kiss it. "'My dear Madame Maxime,' he said, "'welcome to Hogwarts.' "'Dumbledore,' said Madame Maxime in a deep voice, "'I hope I find you well.' "'In excellent form, I thank you,' said Dumbledore. <laughs> said Dumbledore. "'My pupils,' said Madame Maxime, waving her enormous hands carelessly behind her. Harry, whose attention had been focused completely upon Madame Maxime, now noticed that about a dozen boys and girls, all by the look of them in their late teens, had emerged from the carriage and were standing behind Madame Maxime. They were shivering, which was unsurprising given that their cloaks seemed to be made of fine silk, and none of them, oh, excuse me, they were shivering, mm, oh boy, they were shivering which was unsurprising given that their robes seemed to be made of fine silk, and none of them were wearing cloaks. A few had wrapped scarves and shawls around their heads. From what Harry could see of them, they were standing in Mad Maxime's enormous shadow. They were staring up at Hogwarts with apprehensive looks on their faces. "'Has Karkaroff arrived yet?' Madame Maxime asked. 
He should be here any moment, said Dumbledore. Would you like to wait here and greet him, or would you prefer to step inside and warm up a trifle? Warm up, I think, said Madame Maxime. But is your office? Our care of magical creatures, teacher, would be delighted to take care of them, said Dumbledore. The moment he has returned from dealing with a slight situation that has arisen from one of his other uh, charges. Scroots, Ron muttered to Harry, grinning. My steeds require uh, forceful handling, said Madame Maxime, looking as though she doubted whether any care of magical creatures teacher at Hogwarts could be up to the job. They are very strong. I assure you, Hagrid will be up to the job, said Dumbledore, smiling. Very well, said Madame Maxime, bowing slightly. Will you please inform this Hagrid that the horses drink only single malt whiskey? It will be attended to, said Dumbledore, also bowing. Come, said Madame Maxime imperiously to her students, and the Hogwarts crowd parted to allow her and the students to pass up the stone steps. How big do you reckon Durmstrang's horses are going to be? James Finnegan said, leaning around Lavender and Parvati to address Harry and Ron. Well, if they're any bigger than this lot, even Hagrid won't be able to handle them, said Harry. That's if he hasn't been attacked by his scroots. Wonder what's up with them. Maybe they've escaped, said Ron hopefully. Oh, don't say that, said Hermione with a shudder. Imagine that lot loose on the grounds. They stood, shivering slightly now, waiting for the Durmstrang party to arrive. Most people were gazing hopefully up at the sky. For a few seconds, the silence was broken only by Madame Maxime's huge horses snorting and stamping. But then... Can you hear something? said Ron suddenly. Harry listened. A loud and oddly eerie noise was drifting toward them from out of the darkness. A muffled rumbling and sucking sound, as though an enormous vacuum cleaner were moving along a riverbed. The lake, said Lee Jordan, pointing down at it. Look at the lake! From their position at the top of the lawns overlooking the grounds, they had a clear view of the smooth black surface of the water except that the surface was suddenly not smooth at all. Some disturbance was taking place deep in the center. Great bubbles were forming on the surface. Waves were now washing over the muddy banks. And then, in the very middle of the lake, a whirlpool appeared, as if a giant plug had just been pulled out of the lake's floor. What seemed to be a long black pole began to rise slowly out of the heart of the whirlpool. And then Harry saw the rigging. It's a mast, he said to Ron and Hermione. Slowly, magnificently, the ship rose out of the water, gleaming in the moonlight. It had a strangely skeletal look about it, as though it were a resurrected wreck, and in the dim, misty lights shimmering at its portholes, it looked like ghostly eyes. Finally, with a great sloshing noise, the ship emerged entirely, bobbing on the turbulent water, and began to glide toward the bank. A few moments later, they heard the splash of an anchor being thrown down in the shallows, 
and the thud of a plank being lowered onto the bank. People were disembarking. They could see their silhouettes passing the lights on the ship's portholes. All of them, Harry noticed, seemed to be built along the lines of Crab and Goyle. But then, as they drew nearer, walking up the lawns into the light streaming from the entrance hall, he saw that their bulk was really due to the fact that they were wearing cloaks of some kind of shaggy, matted fur. But the man who was leading them up to the castle was wearing furs of a different sort, sleek and silver, like his hair. Dumbledore! he called heartily as he walked up the slope. How are you, my dear fellow? How are you? Blooming, thank you, Professor Karkaroff, Dumbledore replied. <laughs> Karkaroff had a fruity, unctuous voice. When he stepped into the light, pouring from the front doors of the castle, they saw that he was tall and thin like Dumbledore, but his white hair was short, and his goatee, finished in a small curl, did not entirely hide his rather weak chin. When he reached Dumbledore, he took both of his hands. He shook hands with both of his own. Dear old Hogwarts, he said, looking up at the castle and smiling. Teeth were rather yellow, and Harry noticed that his smile did not extend to his eyes, which remained cold and shrewd. How good is it to be here? How good. Victor, come along into the warmth. You don't mind, Dumbledore. Victor has a slight head cold. Karkaroff beckoned forward one of his students. The boy passed. Harry caught a glimpse of a prominent curved nose and thick black eyebrows. He didn't need the punch in the arm Ron gave him, or the hiss in his ear, to recognize that profile. Harry, it's Crumb. That's the end of the chapter. Smile, hello. Smile says, hey Sam, sorry I haven't popped into the stream. Busy this evening. Quite all right. It'll be here when you're ready. Glad I could jump in and say hi quickly, though. As am I. Hope you're having a great night. All right, let's go back to the library. <sighs> That's another chapter down. Now, for anyone who's jumping in late, my name is Sam. This is Sidecar Stories. We are in the middle, almost dead center in the middle, of our start-to-finish read-through of Harry Potter. Uh, well, I'm just Harry Potter in general. Almost dead center in the middle of Harry Potter. We are close to the middle, I would say. Maybe slightly before the middle of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Uh, which will feature heavily in the next chapter. Before then, I'm going to take a quick break. About five minutes long. And then when I come back, we're going to do a quick review. Um, I, should also I should also mention I got beaned again. This week I got beaned twice. So I'm going to be enduring what I sincerely hope will not be another sausage uh, bean. A sausage-flavored bean. Because that was really, truly awful. I, I do... I'm, I'm not exaggerating when I say that that, that flavor lingered with me. Like uh, fennel and... Ugh, ugh. Uh, it, it lingered with me for no less than an hour after the stream was already over. And if you remember, I had a whole chapter between eating them and ending the stream. So uh, that was a lot. But... Uh, last week, I believe I ended at uh, 118. This week, 
I'm at 124, which uh, at three, three at, at uh, three subs per bean puts me at two more beans this week. I'm avoiding that third one. Cass tells me, yeah, she's not. Cass tells me that uh, she thinks there may have been another sausage one, and it might have been near the top. So I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and shake that up. Hopefully, stir things around. I mean, I'm going till this thing is done, and I'm I may even you know buy another one after this if uh, if y'all are feeling it. But smile, sorry. Uh, as I said before, it'll be here when you're ready to come back for it. Don't you worry. All right, gonna take a break. I'll see y'all in just a bit. Five minutes. Bye bye. Hello, everyone. We are back. Now, as I said before the break, I got beaned. I got beaned two times. I got double beaned. Uh, I'm calling in my beautiful assistant right now. Beautiful assistant. Oh, look at that. So fancy. <laughs> okay. I guess I here. I, I looked. So you you got it. You just shake it. Okay. So. gonna go ahead and cloak up as i said um this is uh this is a package of birdie bots every flavor beans uh, i'm owed two beans because as i've promised uh for every three subscribers i'm eating a bean um i thought i knew what i was signing up for in a way uh but that sausage one was really 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 awful <sighs> okay all right well let's do it Hold on, where's my hat at? I'm gonna make sure I'm I'm double preserved here. Yeah. That I definitely, definitely can. I did. Okay, 100% can't see unless you put it like, nope, even then. So if you were to put it onto my mustache, I wouldn't be able to, or I, I might be able to see it. Okay, all right, B number one. Show it to him and hit me. Again, uh, if this ain't your bag, go ahead and wait for the VOD and skip until you see art. If it's green, it's going to look spooky and clear. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm nervous now. Again, the, the like outer coating does me no favors. It does not give me any indication of what I'm getting myself into. Alright. Hmm. Okay, that one was definitely sweet. Um I would say Yeah, honestly that one that one felt like a regular old jelly bean to me. Maybe strawberry, I don't know. All these fruit flavors get confused for me. The weird like candy fruit flavors which aren't actual like aren't fruit flavors hmm. do you think you know what it was think what oh you think so yeah cherry okay okay cinnamon i'm kind of looking forward to i think cinnamon's gonna be good is it very spicy but is it as spicy as pepper 
All right, let me cleanse my palate. Madam, the second bean. Let him see it, let me have it. <laughs> that's, I don't think that's on the, again, that's not on the list of things I want to hear. I'm ready though. That got that got intimate more more intimate perhaps than okay. Spooky outer coating. Um um the outer coating is already maybe trouble. It doesn't taste as sweet as before. Oh no no no. This one's fine. Feels like lemon lime. Lemon okay. Safe. safe all right beautiful assistant thank you spooky disembodied hands of my lovely assistant rachel thank you very much for uh hooking me up with these and to you all whether ye be new or ye be old I appreciate you. Um, there are two groups of people you can thank for for that little experience, although pretty tame one today. Uh, first, um, let's see, Alira G. Um, welcome, Morgan uh, Larangle. Welcome. Let's see. I don't think it names all of them. Weirdly, uh, Fawny Anderson. Don't Don. <laughs> Just don't. Don. Don. Don't. Uh, Courtney Herbs. Miranda Elian. Although Miranda Elian, I've definitely seen that name before. So yeah, I don't think it names all of them, weirdly enough. But you can thank them, and you can thank whoever told them about the channel. If you want to see me get beaned more, and make me eat like a, a pepper or earthworm or dirt or heaven forbid another sausage bean go ahead and tell other people about this channel like i said i'm finally feeling like we're in a place where it's stable i can actually make good videos i can do i can stream properly um which is very exciting so i'd love to get the word out and get more people in here so we can talk harry potter or honestly so that you can listen to it while you fall asleep that is a totally valid use for this Although some of my voices are not super conducive to that, you know, I would hate to be somebody trying to fall asleep and have, you know, Mad Eye Moody just burst into their dreams. <laughs> it's time to sleep, Imperio. <laughs> Heaven forbid. Did you? Oh no, that's a spoiler. Never mind. Never mind. There's a great meme. Great meme from uh, one of the chapters coming up. Let's proceed, shall we? Thank you to everyone who uh, told other people about this channel, and uh, thank you to everyone who is new here. So, quick summary of the last chapter, and we're going. Uh, essentially, the last chapter, uh, it seems things are getting pretty busy for the Hogwarts students. Um, they don't have their OWL tests yet. Um, that's not until next year, but as uh, McGonagall uh, observantly claims, that was some rough English, 
Katie. Thank you. Um, uh, as as uh, McGonagall observes, uh, really Hermione is the only one that's in a good position to take those tests. Um, it seems there might be an air of competition as the impending arrival of students from Beaubaton and Durmstrang schools of <laughs> wizarding schools um, as their impending arrivals uh, as their boy. Wow. Keep it together, Compton. Um, as their impending arrival draws nearer, it seems that there might be some competition and the teachers uh, are a little bit more harsh with the students, including McGonagall. We see them arrive at the very end of the chapter. Um, the Beaubaton students uh, and their headmistress, Madame Maxime, with an M. Madame Maxime uh, come out of a, an enormous flying carriage and the Durmstrang students uh, coming out of a, a ship which arrived uh, in a submarine fashion in the lake outside of the school. So that is where we're at. Uh, very last part of the chapter, very last moment, the little button on the end of the chapter, Victor Crumb, the famous uh, international Quidditch athlete, has arrived and seems to be a Termstrang student. So, let's move on to the next chapter, shall we? Thank you all so much for joining me. As usual, if you've got anything you want to talk about, throw it in chat. Do it. I want to talk about it. Do it. Chapter 16, The Goblet of Fire. I don't believe it, Ron said in a stunned voice as the Hogwarts students filed back up the steps behind the party from Durmstrang. Crum, Harry. Victor Crum. Oh, for heaven's sake, Hermione. I'm Hermione. For heaven's sake, Ron, he's only a Quidditch player, said Hermione. Only a Quidditch play, Ron said, looking at her as though he couldn't believe his ears. Hermione, he's one of the best seekers in the world. I had no idea he was still at school. As they recrossed the entrance hall with the rest of the Hogwarts students headed for the Great Hall, Harry saw Lee Jordan jumping up and down in the soles of his feet to get a better look at the back of Crumb's head. Several sixth-year girls were frantically searching their pockets as they walked. Oh, I can't believe it. I haven't got a single quill on me. Do you think he'd sign my hat and lipstick? Really? Hermione said loftily as they passed the girls, now squabbling over the lipstick. I'm getting his autograph if I can, said Ron. You haven't got a quill on you, have you, Harry? No, they're upstairs in my bag, said Harry. They walked over to the Gryffindor table and sat down. Ron took care to sit on the side facing the doorway because Crumb and his fellow Durmstrang students were still gathered around it, apparently unsure about where they should sit. The students from Beaubaton had chosen seats at the Ravenclaw table, they were looking around the great hall with glum expressions on their faces. Three of them were still clutching scarves and shawls around their heads. It's not that cold, said Hermione defensively. Why didn't they bring their cloaks? Over here. Come sit over here, Ron hissed. Over here, Hermione. Budge up, make a space. What? 
too late, said Ron bitterly. Victor Crum and his fellow Durmstrang students had settled themselves at the Slytherin table. Harry could see Malfoy, Crabbe, and Goyle looking very smug about this. As he watched, Malfoy bent forward to speak to Crum. Yeah, that's right, smarm up to him, Malfoy, said Ron scathingly. Bet Crum can see right through him, though. I bet he gets people fawning over him all the time. Where do you reckon they're going to sleep? You could offer them a space in our dormitory, Harry. Wouldn't mind giving him my bed. I can keep on the camp bed. Hermione snorted. They look a lot happier than the Bobatons lot, said Harry. The Durmstrang students were pulling off their heavy furs and looking up at the starry black ceiling with expressions of interest. A couple of them were picking up the golden plates and goblets and imagining them, apparently impressed. Up at the staff table, Filch, the caretaker, was adding chairs. He was wearing his moldy old tailcoat in honor of the occasion. Harry was surprised to see that he had added four chairs, two on either side of Dumbledore's. But there are only two extra people, Harry said. Why is Filch putting out four chairs? Who else is coming? Eh? said Ron vaguely. He was still staring avidly at Crumb. When all the students had entered the hall and settled down at their house tables, the staff entered, filing up to the top table and taking their seats. Last in line were Professor Dumbledore, Professor Karkaroff, and Madame Maxime. When their headmistress appeared, the pupils from Beaubaton leapt to their feet. A few of the Hogwarts students laughed. The Beaubaton party appeared quite unembarrassed however, and did not resume their seats until Madame Maxime had sat down on Dumbledore's left-hand side. Dumbledore remained standing, and a silence fell over the great hall. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, ghosts, and, most particularly, guests, said Dumbledore, beaming around at the foreign students. I have great pleasure in welcoming you all to Hogwarts. I hope and trust that your stay here will be both comfortable and enjoyable. One of the Bobaton girls, clutching a muffler around her head, gave what was unmistakably a derisive laugh. No one's making you stay, Hermione whispered, bristling at her. The tournament will be officially opened at the end of the feast, said Dumbledore. I now invite you all to eat, drink, and make yourselves at home. He sat down, and Harry saw Karkaroff lean forward once and engage him in conversation. Mm. He sat down, and Harry saw Karkaroff lean forward at once and engage him in conversation. The plates in front of them filled with food as usual. The house elves in the kitchens seemed to have pulled out all the stops. There was a greater variety of dishes in front of them than Harry had ever seen, including several that were definitely foreign. What's that? said Ron, pointing at a large dish of some sort of shellfish stew that stood beside a large steak and kidney pudding. Bubas, said Hermione. And do forgive me, I actually looked up how to pronounce that. It's a very French word, 
B-O-U-I-L-L-A B-A-I-S-S-E. I looked up how to pronounce it, and uh, I think the pronunciation has possibly escaped me. Bless you, said Ron. It's French, said Hermione. I had it on holiday the summer before last. It was very nice. I'll take your word for it, said Ron, helping himself to black pudding. The great hall seemed somehow much more crowded than usual, even though there were barely twenty additional students there. Perhaps it was because their differently colored uniforms stood out so clearly against the black of the Hogwarts robes. Now that they had removed their furs, the Durmstrang students were revealed to be wearing robes of a deep blood red. Hagrid sidled into the hall through a door behind the staff table, twenty minutes after the start of the feast. He slid into his seat at the end and waved at Harry, Ron, and Hermione with a very heavily bandaged hand. Scroot's doing all right, Hagrid, Harry called. Thriving, Hagrid called back happily. Yeah, I just bet that they are, said Ron quietly. Looks like they finally found a food they like, doesn't it? Hagrid's fingers. At that moment, a voice said, Excuse me, are you wanting the bouillabaisse? It was the girl from Beaubaton who had laughed during Dumbledore's speech. She had finally removed her muffler. A long sheet of silvery blonde hair fell almost to her waist. She had large, deep blue eyes and very white, even teeth. Ron went purple. He stared up at her, opened his mouth to reply, but nothing came out except a faint, gurgling noise. Yeah, have it, said Harry, pushing the dish toward the girl. You have finished with it? Yeah, said Ron breathlessly. Yeah, it was excellent. The girl picked up the dish and carried it carefully off to the Ravenclaw table. Ron was still goggling at the girl as though he had never seen one before. Harry started to laugh. The sound seemed to jog Ron back to his senses. She's a Vila, he said hoarsely to Harry. Of course she isn't said Hermione tartly. I don't see anyone else gaping at her like an idiot. She wasn't entirely right about that. As the girl crossed the hall, many boys' heads turned, and some of them seemed to have become temporarily speechless, just like Ron. I'm telling you, that's not a normal girl, said Ron, leaning sideways so he could keep a clear view of her. They don't make them like that at Hogwarts. They make them okay at Hogwarts, said Harry, without thinking. Cho happened to be sitting only a few paces away from the girl with the silvery hair. <sighs> when you both put your eyes back in, said Hermione briskly, you'll be able to see who's just arrived. She was pointing up at the staff table. The two remaining empty seats had just been filled. Ludo Bagman was now sitting on Professor Karkaroff's other side, while Mr. Crouch... Percy's boss, who was seated next to Madame Maxime. "'What are they doing here?' said Harry, in surprise. "'They organized the Triwizard Tournament, didn't they?' said Hermione. "'I suppose they wanted to be here to see it start.' When the second course arrived, they noticed an 
number of unfamiliar desserts, too. Ron examined an odd sort of pale blancmange closely and moved it carefully a few inches to his right so that it would be clearly visible from the Ravenclaw table. Blancmange is actually a word I know. It's like a, like a pale, like, jelly dessert. The girl who looked like Avila appeared to have eaten enough, however, and did not come over to get it. Once the plates had been wiped clean, Professor Dumbledore stood up again. A pleasant sort of tension seemed to fill the hall now. Harry felt a slight thrill of excitement, wondering what was coming. Several seats down from them, Fred and George were leaning forward, staring at Dumbledore with great concentration. The moment has come, said Dumbledore, smiling around at the sea of upturned faces. The Triwizard Tournament is about to start. I would like to say a few words of explanation before we bring in the casket. The what? Harry muttered. Ron shrugged. Just to clarify the procedure that we will be following this year. First, let me introduce, for those of you who do not know them, Mr. Bartimaeus Crouch, head of the Department of International Magical Cooperation, there was a smattering of polite, polite applause, and Mr. Ludo Bagman, head of the Department of Magical Games and Sports. There was a much louder round of applause for Bagman than for Crouch, perhaps because of his fame as a beater, or perhaps because he simply looked so much more likable. He acknowledged it with a jovial wave of his hand. Bartimaeus Crouch did not smile or wave when his name was announced. Remembering him in his neat suit at the Quidditch World Cup, Harry thought he looked strange in wizard's clothes. His toothbrush mustache had, um, his toothbrush mustache and severe parting looked very odd next to Dumbledore's long white hair and beard. Mr. Bagman and Mr. Crouch have worked tirelessly over the last few months on the arrangements for the Triwizard Tournament, Dumbledore continued. We'll be joining myself, Professor Karkaroff, and Madame Maxime on the panel that will judge the champion's efforts. At the mention of the word champions, the attentiveness of the listening students seemed to sharpen. Perhaps Dumbledore had noticed their sudden stillness, for he smiled and said, The casket then, if you please, Mr. Filch. Filch, who had been lurking unnoticed in a far corner of the hall, now approached Dumbledore, carrying a great wooden chest encrusted with jewels. It looked extremely odd. A murmur of excited voices rose from the watching students. Dennis Creevy actually stood on his chair to see it properly, but being so tiny, his head hardly rose above anyone else's. The instructions for the tasks that the champions will face this year have already been examined by Mr. Crouch and Mr. Bagman said Dumbledore, as Filch placed the chests carefully on the table before him. They have made the necessary arrangements for each challenge. There will be three tasks, spaced throughout the school year, and they will test the champions in many different ways. Their magical prowess, their daring, their powers of deduction, and, of course, their ability to cope with danger. At this last word... The hall was filled with a silence so absolute that nobody seemed to be breathing. As you know, three champions compete in the tournament, Dumbledore went on calmly. One from each of the participating schools 
They will be marked on how well they perform each of the tournament tasks. The champion with the highest total after the three tasks will win the Triwizard Cup. Will win the Triwizard Cup. Champions will be chosen by an impartial selector, the Goblet of Fire. Dumbledore now took out his wand and tapped three times upon the lid of the casket. The lid creaked slowly open. Dumbledore reached inside it and pulled out a large, roughly hewn wooden cup. It would have been entirely unremarkable had it not been filled to the brim with dancing blue-white flames. Dumbledore closed the casket and placed the goblet carefully on top of it, where it would be clearly visible to everyone in the hall. Anybody wishing to submit themselves as a champion must write their name and school clearly upon a slip of parchment and drop it into the goblet, said Dumbledore. Aspiring champions have twenty-four hours in which to put their names forward. Tomorrow night, however, tomorrow night, Halloween, the goblet will return the names of the three it is judged most worthy to represent their schools. The goblet will be placed in the entrance hall tonight, where it will be freely accessible to all those who wish to compete. To ensure that no underage student yields to temptation, said Dumbledore, I will be drawing an age line around the goblet of fire that has been placed in the entrance hall. Nobody under the age of seventeen will be able to cross this line. Finally, I wish to impress upon any of you wishing to compete in this tournament. It is not to be entered into lightly. Once a champion has been selected by the Goblet of Fire, he or she is obligated to see the tournament through to the end. The placing of your name in the goblet constitutes a binding magical contract. There can be no change of heart once you become a champion. Be very sure, therefore, that you are wholeheartedly prepared to play before you drop your name into the goblet. Now, I think it is time for bed. Good night to you all. An age line, Fred Weasley said, his eyes glinting as they all made their way across the hall to the doors into the entrance hall. Well, I should be fooled by an age in potion, shouldn't it? Once your name's in that goblet, you're laughing. It can't tell whether you're seventeen or not. But I don't think anyone under seventeen will stand a chance, said Hermione. We just haven't learned enough. Speak for yourself, said George shortly. You'll try and get in, won't you, Harry? Harry thought briefly of Dumbledore's insistence that nobody under seventeen should submit their name. Then the wonderful picture of himself winning the Triwizard Tournament filled his mind again. He wondered how angry Dumbledore would be if someone younger than seventeen did find a way to get over the age line. "'Where is he?' said Ron, who wasn't listening to a word of this conversation, but looking through the crowd to see what had become of Crumb. Dumbledore didn't say where the Durmstrang people are sleeping, did he? But this query was answered almost instantly. They were level with the Slytherin table now, and Karkaroff had just bustled up to his students. Mug to the ship, then, he was saying. Victor, 
How are you feeling? Did you eat enough? Should I send for some mulled wine from the kitchens? Harry saw Crumb shake his head, and he pulled his furs back on. Professor, I would like some wine, said one of the other Durmstrang boys, hopefully. I wasn't offering it to you, Polyakov, snapped Karkaroff, his warmly paternal air vanishing in an instant. Instant. And looks that you have dribbled food all down the front of your robes again, disgusting boy. Karkaroff turned and led his students toward the doors, reaching them at exactly the same time as Harry, Ron, and Hermione. Harry stopped to let him walk through first. Thank you, said Karkaroff carelessly, glancing at him. And then Karkaroff froze. He turned his head back to Harry and stared at him as though he couldn't believe his eyes. Behind their headmaster, the students from Durmstrang came to a halt, too. Karkaroff's eyes moved slowly up Harry's face and fixed upon his scar. The Durmstrang students were staring curiously at Harry, too. Out of the corner of his eye, Harry saw comprehension dawn on a few of their faces. The boy with food all down his front nudged the girl next to him and pointed openly at Harry's forehead. Yeah, that's Harry Potter, said a growling voice from behind them. Professor Karkaroff spun around. Mad-Eye Moody was standing there, leaning heavily upon his staff, his magical eye glaring unblinkingly at the Durmstrang headmaster. The color drained from Karkaroff's face as Harry watched. A terrible look of mingled fury and fear came over him. You, he said, staring at Moody as though unsure that he was really seeing him. Me, said Moody grimly. Unless you've got anything else to say to Potter, Karkaroff, you might want to move. You're blocking the doorway. It was true. Half the students in the hall were now waiting behind them, looking over one another's shoulders to see what had caused the hold-up. Without a word, Professor Karkaroff swept his students away with him. Moody watched him until he was out of sight, his magical eye fixed upon his back, a look of intense dislike upon his mutilated face. As the next day was Saturday, most students would normally have breakfasted late. Harry, Ron, and Hermione, however, were not alone in rising much earlier than they usually did on weekends. When they went down to the entrance hall, they saw about twenty people milling around it, some of them eating toast, all examining the goblet of fire. It had been placed in the center of the hall on a stool that normally bore the sorting hat. A thin golden line had been traced on the floor forming a circle ten feet around it in every direction. Anyone put their name in yet? Ron asked a third-year girl eagerly. All the Durmstrang lot, he replied, but I haven't seen anyone from Hogwarts yet. I bet some of them put... I bet some of them put it in last night, after we'd all gone to bed, said Harry. I would have, if it had been me wouldn't have wanted everyone watching. What if the goblet just gobbed it right back out again? <laughs> Somebody laughed behind Harry. 
Turning, he saw Fred, George, and Lee Jordan hurrying down the staircase, all three of them looking extremely excited. Done it, Fred said in a triumphant whisper to Harry, Ron, and Hermione. Just taking it. What? said Ron. The aging potion, dung brains, said Fred. One drop each, said George, rubbing his hands together with glee. We only need to be a few months older. We're going to split the thousand galleons between the three of us if one of us wins, said Lee, grinning broadly. I'm not sure this is going to work, you know, said Hermione warningly. I'm sure Dumbledore will have thought of this. Fred, George, and Lee ignored her. Ready? said the other two, quivering with excitement. Come on, then. I'll go first. Harry watched, fascinated, as Fred pulled a slip of parchment out of his pocket, bearing the words, Fred Weasley, Hogwarts. Fred walked right up to the edge of the line and stood there, rocking on his toes like a diver prepared for a fifty-foot drop. Then, with the eyes of every person in the entrance hall upon him, he took a great breath and stepped over the line. For a split second, Harry thought it had worked. George certainly thought so, for he let out. George certainly thought so, for he let out a yell of triumph and leapt after Fred. But next moment, there was a loud sizzling sound, and both twins were hurtled out of the golden circle as though they had been thrown by an invisible shot putter. They landed painfully ten feet away on the cold stone floor, and to add insult to injury, there was a loud popping noise, and both of them sprouted identical long white beards. The entrance hall rang with laughter. Even Fred and George joined in once they had gotten to their feet and taken a good look at each other's beards. "'I did warn you,' said a deep, amused voice, and everyone turned to see Professor Dumbledore coming out of the Great Hall. He surveyed Fred and George, his eyes twinkling. "'I suggest that you both go up to Madame Pomfrey. She's already tending to Miss Fawcett of Ravenclaw and Mr. Summers of Hufflepuff, both of whom decided to age themselves up a little bit, too. Though I must say, neither of their beards is anything like as fine as yours.' Fred and George set off for the hospital wing, accompanied by Lee, who was howling with laughter and Harry, Ron, and Hermione also. Uh, and, Her and, and Harry, Ron, and Hermione, also chortling, went in to breakfast. The decorations in the Great Hall had changed this morning. As it was Halloween, a cloud of live bats was fluttering around the enchanted ceiling, while hundreds of carved pumpkins leered from every corner. Harry led the way over to Dean and Seamus, were discussing those Hogwarts students of seventeen or over that might be entering. There's a rumor going around that Warrington got up early, put his name in, Dean told Harry. That big bloke from Slytherin looks like a sloth. Harry, who had played Quidditch against Warrington, shook his head in disgust. We can't have a Slytherin champion. All the Hufflepuffs are talking about Diggory said Seamus contemptuously. But I wouldn't have thought he wanted to risk his good looks. Listen, said Hermione suddenly. 
people were cheering out of the entrance hall. They all swiveled around in their seats and saw Angelina Johnson coming into the hall, grinning in an embarrassed sort of way. A tall black girl who played chaser on the Gryffindor-Quidditch team, Angelina came over to them, sat down, and said, Well, I've done it. Just put my name in. You're kidding, said Ron, looking impressed. Are you seventeen, then? asked Harry. Of course she is. You can't see her beard, can you? said Ron. I had my birthday last week, said Angelina. I'm glad someone from Gryffindor is entering, said Hermione. I really hope you get it, Angelina. Thanks, Hermione, said Angelina, smiling at her. Eh, better you than pretty boy Diggory, said Seamus, causing several Hufflepuffs passing their table to scowl heavily at him. What are we going to do today, then? Ron asked Harry and Hermione when they had finished breakfast and were leaving the Great Hall. We haven't been down to visit Hagrid yet, said Harry. Okay, said Ron. Just as long as he doesn't ask us to donate a few fingers to the Scroots. A look of great excitement suddenly dawned on Hermione's face. I've just realized I haven't asked Hagrid to join SPEW yet, she said brightly. Wait for me, will you, while I nip upstairs and get the badges. What is it with her? said Ron, exasperated, as Hermione ran away up the marble staircase. Hey, Ron, said Harry suddenly. It's your friend. The students from Beaubaton were coming through the front doors from the grounds. Among them, the Vila girl. Those gathered around the Goblet of Fire stood back to let them pass, watching eagerly. Madame Maxime entered the hall behind her students and organized them into a line. One by one, the Beaubaton students stepped across the age line, dropped their slips of parchment into the blue-white flames. As each name entered the fire, it turned briefly red and emitted sparks. What do you reckon will happen to the ones that aren't chosen? Ron muttered to Harry as the Vila girl dropped her parchment into the Goblet of Fire. Do you reckon that they'll go back to school or hang around to watch the tournament? Dunno, said Harry. Hang around, I suppose. Madame Maxime's staying to judge, isn't she? When all the Beaubaton students had submitted their names, Madame Maxime led them back out of the hall and out onto the grounds again. Where do they sleep in, then? said Ron, moving toward the front doors and staring after them. A loud rattling noise behind them announced Hermione's reappearance with the box of SPEW badges. Spew! Oh, good, hurry up, said Ron, and he jumped down the stone steps, keeping his eyes in the back of the Vila girl, who was now halfway across the lawn with Madame Maxime. As they neared Hagrid's cabin at the edge of the Forbidden Forest, the mystery of the Beaubaton sleeping quarters was revealed. The gigantic powder-blue carriage on which they had arrived had been parked two hundred yards from Hagrid's front door, and the students were climbing back inside it. The elephantine flying horses that had pulled the carriage were now grazing in a makeshift paddock alongside it. 
Harry knocked on Hagrid's door, and Fang's booming barks answered instantly. I don't know why I did that. About time, said Hagrid, when he'd flung open the door. I thought you lot had forgotten where I live. We've been really busy, Hag... Hermione started to say, but then she stopped dead. Looking up at Hagrid, apparently lost for words. Hagrid was wearing his best, and very horrible, hairy brown suit, plus a checked yellow and orange tie. This wasn't the worst of it, though. He had evidently tried to tame his hair using large quantities of what appeared to be axle grease. It was now slicked down into two bunches. Perhaps he had tried a ponytail like Bill's, but found he had too much hair. The look didn't really suit Hagrid at all. For a moment, Hermione goggled at him, and obviously deciding not to comment, he said, Oh, excuse me, she said, Um, where are the scroots? Out by the pumpkin patch, said Hagrid happily. They're getting massive. Must be nearly three feet long now. The trouble is they've started killing each other. Oh no, really? said Hermione, shooting a repressive look at Ron, who, staring at Hagrid's odd hairstyle, had just opened his mouth to say something about it. Yeah, said Hagrid sadly. It's all right, though. Got them in separate boxes now. Still got about twenty. Well, that's lucky, said Ron. Hagrid missed the sarcasm. Hagrid's cabin comprised a single room, in one corner of which was a gigantic bed covered in a patchwork quilt. A similarly enormous wooden table and chairs stood in front of the fire beneath the quantity of cured hams and dead birds hanging from the ceiling. They sat down at the table while Hagrid started to make tea, and were soon immersed in yet more discussion of the Triwizard Tournament. Hagrid seemed quite as excited about it as they were. You wait, he said, grinning. You just wait. You're going to see some stuff you've never seen before. First task. I, it, not supposed to tell. Uh, go on, Hagrid, Harry, Ron, and Hermione urged him, but he just shook his head, grinning. We don't want to spoil it for you, said Hagrid. It's going to be spectacular. I'll tell you that. Them champions are going to have their work cut out. Never thought I'd live to see the Triwizard Tournament played again. They ended up having lunch with Casserole. With, oh my lord. <laughs> okay, so I do this thing where occasionally I'm reading the line that you're hearing coming out of my mouth, but my eyes are one line down. Occasionally it'll just pick up a word. Occasionally I've just read ahead, like I'm, I'm reading ahead of my mouth, but... Oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> they ended up having lunch with Hagrid, though they didn't eat much. Hagrid had made what he said was a beef casserole, but after Hermione unearthed a large talon in hers, she, Harry, and Ron rather lost their appetites. However, they enjoyed themselves, trying to make Hagrid tell them what tasks in the tournament. Um. However, they enjoyed themselves trying to make Hagrid tell them what the tasks in the tournament were going to be, speculating which of the entrants was likely to be selected as champion, and wondering whether Fred and George were beardless yet.
A light rain had started to fall by mid-afternoon. It was very cozy, sitting by the fire, listening to the gentle patter of the drops on the window, watching Hagrid darning his socks and arguing with Hermione about house elves, for he flatly refused to join SPEW when he showed him her badges. When she showed him her badges. It'd be doing him an unkindness, Hermione, he said gravely, threading a massive bone needle with thick yellow yarn. It's in their nature to look after humans. It's what they like, you see. They'd be making them unhappy, trying to take away their work, and insulting them if you tried to pay them. But Harry, Harry set Dobby free, and he was over the moon about it, said Hermione. And we heard he's asking for wages now. Oh, yeah. You get weirdos in every breed. I'm, I'm not saying there isn't the odd elf who would take freedom, but you'll never persuade most of them to do it. Nope, nope, nothing doing, Hermione. Hermione looked very cross indeed, and stuffed her box of badges back into her cloak pocket. By half-past five it was growing dark, and Ron, Harry, and Hermione decided it was time to get back up to the castle for the Halloween feast, and more importantly, the announcement of the school champions. I'll come with you, said Hagrid, putting away his darning. Just give us a sec. Hagrid got up, went across to the chest of drawers behind his bed, and began searching for something inside it. They didn't pay too much attention until a truly horrible smell reached their nostrils. Coughing, Ron said, Hagrid, <coughs> what is that? Huh? said Hagrid, turning around with a large bottle in his hand. Well, you don't like it? Is that aftershave? said Hermione in a slightly choked voice. Uh, you the cologne, Hagrid muttered. He was blushing. Maybe it's a bit much, he said gruffly. I'll go take it off. Hang on. He stumped out of the cabin, and they saw him washing himself vigorously in the water barrel outside the window. You took cologne, said Hermione in amazement. Hagrid? And what's with the hair and the suit, said Harry in an undertone. Look, said Ron suddenly, pointing out of the window. Hagrid had just straightened up and turned round. If he had been blushing before, it was nothing compared to what he was doing now. Getting to their feet very cautiously, so that Hagrid wouldn't spot them, Harry, Ron, and Hermione peered through the window and saw that Madame Maxime and the Beaubaton students had just emerged from their carriage clearly about to set off for the feast, too. They couldn't hear what Hagrid was saying, but he was talking to Madame Maxime with a rapt, misty-eyed expression Harry had only seen him wear once before, when he had been looking at the baby dragon, Norbert. He's going up to the castle with her, said Hermione indignantly. I thought he was waiting for us. Without so much as a backward glance at his cabin, Hagrid was trudging off up the grounds with Madame Maxime, the Beaubaton students following in their wake, jogging to keep up with their enormous strides. He fancies her, said Ron incredulously. Well, if they end up having children, it'll be setting the world record. 
bitty baby of theirs will weigh about a ton. They let themselves out of the cabin and shut the door behind them. It was surprisingly dark outside. Drawing their cloaks more closely around them, they set off up the sloping lawns. Ooh, it's them, look, Hermione whispered. The Durmstrang party was walking up toward the castle from the lake. Victor Crumb was walking side by side with Karkaroff, and the other Durmstrang students were straggling along behind them. Ron watched Crumb excitedly, but Crumb did not look as the... But Crumb did not look around as he reached the front doors, a little ahead of Hermione, Ron, and Harry, proceeding through them. When they entered the candlelit great hall, it was almost full. The goblet of fire had been moved. It was now standing in front of Dumbledore's empty chair at the teacher's table. Fred and George, clean-shaven again, seemed to have taken their disappointment fairly well. "'I hope it's Angelina,' said Fred, as Harry, Ron, and Hermione sat down. "'So do I,' said Hermione breathlessly. "'Well, we'll soon know.' A Halloween feast seemed to take much longer than usual. Perhaps it was because it was their second feast in two days. Harry didn't seem to fancy the extravagantly prepared food as much as he would normally. Like everyone else in the Great Hall, judging by the constantly craning necks, the impatient expression on every face, the fidgeting and the standing up to see whether Dumbledore had finished eating yet, Harry simply wanted to see the plates clear. And to hear, what had, and to hear who had been selected as champions. At long last, the golden plates returned to their original spotless state. There was a sharp upswing in the light of. There was a sharp upswing in the level of noise within the hall, which died away almost instantly as Dumbledore got to his feet. On either side of him, Professor Karkaroff and Madame Maxime looked as tense and expectant as anyone. Ludo Bagman was beaming and winking at various students. Mr. Crouch, however, looked quite uninterested, almost bored. Well, the goblet is almost ready to make its decision, said Dumbledore. I estimate it requires one more minute. Now, when the champions' names are called, I would ask them to please come up to the top of the hall, walk along the staff table, and go through into the next chamber. He indicated the door behind the staff table where they will be receiving their first instructions. He took out his wand and gave a great sweeping wave with it. At once, all the candles except those inside the carved pumpkins were extinguished, plunging them into a state of semi-darkness. The goblet of fire now shone more brightly than anything in the whole hall. A sparkling, bright, bluey whiteness of the flames almost painful on the eyes. Everyone watched, waiting. A few people kept checking their watches. Any second, Lee Jordan whispered, two seats away from Harry. The flames inside of the goblet suddenly turned red again. Sparks began to fly from it. Next moment, a tongue of flames shot into the air. A charred piece of parchment fluttered out of it. The whole room gasped. Dumbledore caught the piece of parchment and held it at arm's length so that he could read it by the light of the flames. 
which had turned back to blue-white. "'The champion for Durmstrang,' he read in a strong, clear voice, "'will be Victor Crumb.' "'No surprises there,' yelled Ron as a storm of applause and cheering swept the hall. Harry saw Victor Crumb rise from the Slytherin table and slouch up toward Dumbledore. He turned right, walked along the staff table, and disappeared through the door to the next chamber. "'Bravo, Victor!' boomed Karkaroff so loudly that everyone could hear him, even over all the applause. "'I knew that you had it in you!' The clapping and chatting slide. The clapping and chatting died down. Now everyone's attention was focused again on the goblet, which seconds later turned red once more. A second piece of parchment shot out of it, propelled by the flames. The champion for Berbertons, said Dumbledore, is Fleur Delacour. It's her. Dang it. It's her, Ron. Harry shouted as the girl who resembled Avila got gracefully to her feet, shook back her sheet of silvery blonde hair, and swept up between the Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff tables. Oh, look, they're all disappointed, Hermione said over the noise, nodding toward the remainder of the Beaubaton party. Disappointed was a bit of an understatement, Harry thought. Two of the girls who had not been selected had dissolved into tears and were sobbing with their heads on their arms. When Fleur Delacour, too, had vanished into the side chamber, silence fell again. But this time, it was silence so stiff with excitement you could almost taste it. The Hogwarts champion next. And the Goblet of Fire turned red once more. Sparks showered out of it. The tongue of flames shot high into the air, and from its tip, Dumbledore pulled the third piece of parchment. The Hogwarts champion he called, is Cedric Diggory. No, said Ron loudly, but nobody heard him except Harry. The uproar from the next table was too great. Every single Hufflepuff had jumped to his or her feet, screaming and stamping, as Cedric made his way past them, grinning broadly, and headed off toward the chamber behind the teacher's table. Indeed, the applause for Cedric went on so long it was some time before Dumbledore could make himself heard again. Excellent, Dumbledore called happily as the last of the tumult died down. Well, we now have our three champions. I'm sure I can count upon all of you, including the remaining students from Beaubaton and Durmstrang, to give your champions every ounce of support you can muster. By cheering your champion on, you will contribute in a very real... But Dumbledore suddenly stopped speaking and it was apparent to everybody what had distracted him. The fire in the goblet had just turned red again. Sparks were flying out of it. A long flame shot suddenly into the air, and borne upon it was another piece of parchment. Automatically, it seemed, Dumbledore reached out a long hand and seized the parchment. Held it out, and stared at the name written upon it. There was a long pause, during which Dumbledore stared at the slip in his hands, and everyone in the room stared at Dumbledore. And then Dumbledore cleared his throat and read out, 
Harry Potter. That's the end of the chapter. That is the end of the chapter and the end of tonight's stream. Go back to the library. Whoa. Right? <laughs> I think that's a great cliffhanger to end on. It's a good one indeed. By the way, I keep doing it, and I don't know if people even notice it. I'm just going to ignore the fact that my skin looks got boobatuber pus on it. Um, I don't know if anybody's noticed, but uh, as you can see uh, in the word sidecar stories above me, uh, right over there, check out the dot on the eye. There's a donut up there. I'm trying to remember why I even started doing it, but in, I believe, every single chapter... Um, from book two onward, uh, every single chapter, somewhere in the art for that chapter, is that pink donut. Sometimes it's small, sometimes it's been faded a little bit, but uh, if you're looking for something to do, every single chapter, there is at least one donut. <laughs> Thank you all very much for listening. I hope you have a fantastic week. Um, if anyone would like to continue the discussion for the night, I do unfortunately have to log off from the stream at some point, even though I really do enjoy it. And uh, I've got something to talk about here before we do sign off. Um, but uh, later on tonight, if you'd like to keep up the discussion, I've set up a Discord. Um, Discord is a, a great little app um, for essentially setting up uh, chat rooms. It's fantastic. So I've got a Sidecar Stories uh, Discord set up now. Um, you can find the link in the video description. I really appreciate everyone who's here, and I would love to get more people watching. So, if you do me a favor and tell your friends about it, I would really enjoy it. I've promised beans. I've promised beans. I'm going to eat a bean for every three subs I get. Um, but I think... Uh, I th I, I'm just happy that we're stable now. So, I, I would love to have more people in the stream to talk about it. Um, and, uh, you know, I just like having the Harry Potter energy again with other people. Um, I don't know it's possible y'all aren't aware Kendra see you next week thank you very much <laughs> Katie thought it was a fruit loop <laughs> um, it's, it's true that it's quite small and of course it's sideways so it's a little hard to tell let me bump that size up for you really quick as you can see donut yeah <laughs> <laughs> goodness gracious uh but yeah that is the that is the official sidecar stories donut um you can find uh, at least one example in every chapter since the start of book two so don't go looking back in book one i think my proudest uh donut hiding place actually was last week that's part of the reason i bring it up um but i'll let you guys i'll let you guys track it down if you're so inclined um before I end it, I want to talk about Hermione. She has been in the process of trying to do something that she considers very important. She has a mission. Uh, her mission is to promote the welfare of elves, 
in the wizarding world. She's having a tough time of it. Even her friends are uh, are kind of harshing her mellow about it, or to, I guess to put it in a slightly more eloquent, eloquent way. Um, they don't share the same enthusiasm. Um, they are even skeptical of the the intent of it. They're, skept- they're skeptical of the, the point of it all. I want to encourage anyone with a mission like this, anyone with, with a mission to improve the lives of somebody else around them, Anyone, any of you out there who, are, who have a, a, a mission like this right now, I hope I can give you a little extra energy for it. This, it's the, mo- it's the most important thing you could possibly do. If you have it in your heart that somebody needs your help and you are taking the steps to make it happen, well done. Absolutely well done. There are enough people in this world trying to trying to take freedoms away from individuals. There are enough people in this world who are uh, too many people, I think, who are willing to ignore um, uh, the plight of people who don't have a voice for themselves. And so uh, to anyone taking efforts, to anyone especially who is worried that their efforts are too small or that they're on the wrong track because they have friends who disagree with them or who, who don't, understand the importance it seems well done to you stay very strong and uh honestly let me know if i can promote anything like that that anybody's doing you know i don't i'm not gonna i certainly won't say you know i've got this huge enormous audience but i would love for this to be uh somewhere that i would love for sidecar stories to be a something that can help with that um so uh i i commend you deeply uh, it is the most important thing you can possibly do. And to anyone who's who's felt something, some some twitch of their conscience, they can't think of necessarily how to how to put it into action. Don't be afraid to be a follower. Be a discerning follower. You know, um, you know. Make sure that you have have researched uh, whatever group you intend to join or or uh, whatever. Um, leader you intend to follow but followers are just as important as the leaders no movement can survive with only leaders keeps everyone too separate so do well do good unto others and uh, i hope you have a fantastic week be like hermione help in small ways whatever ways you can Y'all are wonderful people. I love you, and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.